This is a photograph. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the art of music. And we're here with a brand new season. This series is all about the crossroads where music and visual art meet on the Weirder Together Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, a diehard music fan and an illustrator for bands. I've been creating album covers and designing posters for bands like King Crimson, Ben Folds, and many more. In each of our episodes, I speak with bands and musicians with their visual art counterparts, together about the art of music and creative collaboration. We're talking album artwork, posters, stage shows, and collaborations for music videos, TV and film, and so much more. Today, we're joined by Kevin Morby, the Kansas City-based musician and songwriter whose latest album, This Is a Photograph, is heavily rooted in memory, family, loss, and his time writing and exploring Memphis during the pandemic. It's a brilliant career standout record for Morby, who has been releasing solo records since 2013 and started off in the bands Babies and Woods. Alongside Kevin for this episode, we have the multi-talented Mike Kroll. Now, many of you might know Mike from his music making with his fantastic garage pop albums like Turkey and Power Chords, but he's also a highly accomplished graphic designer who has worked with Waxahachie, a.k.a. Katie Crutchfield, who also happens to be Kevin's partner and sister to Mike's wife, Allison Crutchfield. Mike's work with Blink-182, That Dog, Snail Mail, Violent Femmes, OK Go, St. Vincent, Spoon, and the centerpiece of today's episode, his work with Kevin Morby, specifically on the new record, This Is a Photograph, and Kevin's beautiful, raw Sundowner album from 2020 as well. In this expansive conversation, we talk all about Mike's backstory as a designer, how he got started working with bands and making his own music, his unique perspective as a designer and musician doing visual work for other bands. We talk about the family connections between Mike and Kevin and how they first started working together. There's lots of great conversation about the creative process for both the artwork and the music for Kevin's album, Sundowner and This is a Photograph. We talk all about the themes of Kevin's new record, the health scare from his father that jolted the first steps of this music, Jeff Buckley's inspiration, his experiences in Memphis, and I thought this was really interesting, how Mike and Kevin are both inspired by visual art and film to create music and song. This is such an awesome episode, and we're really grateful to Mike and Kevin for being here with us. Big thanks to Ben Lee from the Weirder Together podcast network that we're part of for connecting me with Mike and Mike for joining the show and making this interview come to life with Kevin. Can't wait for you all to hear it. So let's get started. Kevin, Mike, welcome to Making Ways, The Art of Music. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of a special episode because... Kevin, you are a musician and an artist, and Mike, also for listeners, are going to know you from your albums and your music, but may not know that you are also a graphic designer, have been a designer for many, many years, and are still working on projects, special projects here and there, like Kevin's music. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive into all sides of that today. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to have a platform to uh, talk about it. Awesome. So Kevin and Mike, how did you two first meet and what was the first kind of collaboration that you got started on? Well, we met because Mike's wife and my girlfriend are twin sisters. So (laughs) 
In a way, it's like we're brothers. But we first met, I think we went out to dinner. I don't, what year would that have been? 2017? Allison and I started dating like pretty much the exact same time that Kevin and Katie started dating. It was a very weird twin coincidence thing, which the more you hang out with twins, you find out there's a lot of stuff like that that happens among twins where life changes happen at the same time. Yeah, not to be TMI, but I think that the first kiss in both respective relationships happened on the same day. And Mike's from the Midwest. He's from Milwaukee, and his initials are MK, and I'm from Kansas City from the Midwest, and my initials are KM. So, you know, there's a lot of parallels going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is absolutely wild. Yeah. Kevin used to live in LA. He comes out here quite often. He still has a large friend base here. And obviously, Kevin's a musician and tours, and Katie's a musician who tours. Katie from Waxahachie. And yeah, yeah, Allison was in Swearin' and and now is doing her solo stuff. Yeah, she still is in Swearin'. They still play. um, Oh, they do? Okay. Yeah. I mean, they haven't played in a while. They're kind of off cycle, but they're an active band. And Allison's solo music is just under Allison Crutchfield, her name. And Katie Crutchfield goes by Waxhatchie. And together they are twins and they date both of us. <laughs> and Allison and Mike are married. Now, and yeah, yeah, yeah and, now, and now we're married. Yeah. Yeah, we're all in like a quad, a quad relationship. <laughs> yeah. It's a very family affair because you all are working together. And then, mm-hmm. and Kevin, you and Katie sometimes make music together. And I, I don't know if you all have made music together yet or any, anything no. like that. Yeah. <laughs> no family band just yet. Not yet. No. But there was, you know, during lockdown and, you know, since the pandemic hit and stuff, like there's been several times where Kevin and Katie have lived with Allison and I at our house for months at a time. And there's been times where we've all spent, I mean, we, we go on vacations together. We do a lot of stuff together, but we mostly just hang out and eat food. We don't really like <laughs> pick up instruments and, <laughs> and try to jam. Though we did do a thing recently. We did a thing for um, this political thing here in Kansas for abortion rights. It's mainly led by Katie and Allison, but we did this like Instagram live thing where we all played music to raise funds for charity. So, you know, everyone's got their specific talent across the four of us. And Mike is very much the designer. I feel like Mike is like, like recently I was wanting to redo some stuff in my studio here in Kansas City. And I was like, should I get cedar on the walls or should I just paint the walls? And she's like, send it to Mike because then Mike can just like mock it up how it would look. So Mike's always got the vision. Yeah. And Mike, you've worked with Kevin, but you've also worked with Katie and Waxahachie. I don't know if you've done design projects with Allison or Swearin as well. And you've done your own records. Yeah, I just do. I do everybody's records. I mean, anybody who wants me to do the records. Since I've been a part of Katie and Allison's and Kevin's life, I've kind of taken over handling some visual responsibilities. Yeah. And people won't know that you've done work with Spoon and Blink-182 and That Dog. You're kind of like under the radar. People know you as a musician, but you're, you're doing some awesome design work. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if many people know that I do work for like Blink-182 or that I've done work for Blink-182, I should say. I do not currently work for Blink-182, but I've been doing this for a long time. And it's kind of, it's, a, it's, it's always been my, I, I went to college for it and I've been working professionally as a graphic designer since... 2005 roughly so when i'm not touring i'm still doing design work you know that's like my my day job if you will yeah and when you were in school you were at sva yeah school of visual arts in new york city yeah you'd go out to shows and just ask bands if you could do band posters for free just to kind of build up your portfolio 
That's right. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Wisconsin and, you know, we had a scene and there was bands would come through Wisconsin, but not a ton. Milwaukee is kind of a city that sometimes, unfortunately, bands will play Chicago and they'll play Minneapolis and they'll they'll skip uh, Milwaukee. So like I would go to a lot of shows growing up, but once I moved to New York, it was like a thing where, you know, there's a, sh- a cool show happening every night. And I was just that age where I was like, wanting to see and do everything and just getting really excited about graphic design and art too. So I would go to shows and I would talk to bands afterwards and meet them at the merch table and be like, Hey, I'm Mike and I'm, I'm going to school for design. I would love to like design some t-shirts or whatever posters for free just to like build up my portfolio. And that's how I started. It's like learning on someone else's dime of like, you know, like making mistakes and not knowing how to like design for silkscreen or not knowing how to size files <laughs> correctly. And some stuff was cool. And I, I, the bands are always psyched because it's like, they don't, you know, bands are generally pretty excited just to have, you know, someone. And they're pretty broke. <laughs> and they're pretty broke. So they're like, sweet, this is free. We don't care. You know? <laughs> right. When did you pick up the guitar and start playing music yourself? Well, I've played music, I don't want to say my whole life, but I have an older brother named Justin. He's two years older than me, and he got into drums pretty early on, and Nirvana and heavy metal and stuff like that. And that was kind of my exposure to like a little bit more alternative music, but also just playing music and he would have friends come over and they would jam. And I would see this growing up in you know elementary school, middle school. And just kind of be excited by it. Always played drums, but I, I started playing guitar in high school. Just to, I started a band and I wanted to like write the song. So I, I taught myself how to play guitar. And then my brother also, I have to um, attribute him to him turning me on to like home recording stuff because he went to college for recording. And he was just one of those kids who was like, you know, other kids in high school age would be going out to the basketball game or the football game. My brother would be in the basement with like a four track, like, <laughs> and microphones trying to figure out like how to like, you know, make a heavy metal record or <laughs> how to record his drums. My point is that I've always been around music. That's been my true passion, but graphic design was something that was also a passion, mostly because of getting into music and seeing bands that like going to see shows and seeing posters and merchandise and album packaging and looking through album packaging and reading credits and and just getting excited about the visual side of things as well. I'd love to fast forward and hear about the first project that that you two worked together on. And uh, I want to you know, obviously talk about this is a photograph and Sundowner and talk to me about kind of how the first collaboration came to be for you two. Well, yeah, I guess it was Sundowner. And before that, I was always using in-house people at my label, at like Secretly Canadian Conglomerate, who are all really talented. But, I, you know, it was great with Mike because I knew Mike. And when it comes to those sorts of things for me, you're sort of inviting someone into your own little world or this thing that might seem ridiculous and all these big ideas you have. And, you know, you need this other person to help you achieve this goal. So it was great. You know, at some point, I think Katie was like, you should just get Mike to do it. And it's like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, that would be amazing because we're getting to know each other a lot better. And I feel like Mike could really help me achieve some of these things that I wanted to do. And so, yeah, I, I remember even Mike didn't work on my record. Oh, my God. But I remember kind of running stuff past you. I wanted, like, Mike's eyes on it. So, I mean, you know, technically we weren't working at that time, but... I kind of knew that the next thing that I would do, I, I wanted to involve Mike. And I think that record, it's it's a special collaboration. And there's 
it's very involved in the music. Like, you know, the music of that album is sort of this smaller thing for me. You know, I usually my records are very expansive and have this whole thing going on with a, a huge band that I invite into the studio. But for that record, it was basically just me and a producer. And I played almost everything on it. And so we wanted the art to sort of reflect, the, I don't know, this sort of loneliness or this sort of, I don't know, we were after this sort of like a Bruce Springsteen, Nebraska, sort of like a niche record within my catalog. Another thing I love that Mike did on that record was when I went out and shot the cover for it. What did you do to the sky there, Mike? It was like you did some doctoring there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the photo is outside of Kansas, right? Kevin? Yeah, in Missouri uh, on a farm. Um, in Missouri on a farm. He went out at like, uh, was it the beginning? Was it dusk or was it the other way? Sun was coming was up. dusk. Sun was yeah. going down. Yeah, I guess Sun was going down. Sundowner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but so Kevin had this really great shot where they built a set of a, like a bedroom in the middle of a field and it just looked great, but when I tried to fit it on a square, we should say that the photography was Johnny Eastland, right? That mm-hmm. that album. Yeah. Shout out to Johnny Eastland who took photos on that album and then on this is a photograph as well. But I was like this will feel more impactful if it's more of like a big sky. And so we shrunk it down and then I like I had to fill up and kind of fake you know, paint and Photoshop. Did some magic. Yeah, did some retouching to give it more sky. But that record came together really fast and it was really organic as far as our process, Kevin, you and I. Kevin is, you know, he's a words man. He's a wordsmith. He's got poetry and he's got lyrics and he's got a little typewriter that he's typing at in Kansas City. And I was like, why don't you type out the lyrics and type them on your typewriter, scan them in, send it to me. And you had photos that you had taken. Kevin's a photographer as well and takes a lot of, you know, candid photos of his recording process and stuff. So it was really, it was easy for me. So you just sent over kind of a treasure trove of, hey, here's some ideas. Here's the cover image we shot or we think we have, or you had different images for the cover and you had different images from recording and notes and things like that. And you just kind of dumped it on Mike and said, like, this is where my kind of brain is and my heart is on this record. Yeah, for sure. And what's cool about that is even with the producer, the producer Brad Cook for that record, because it's an album that I had made on the four track and then we went into a proper studio to finish the record. And I had played everything on the four track and then Brad was, he really pushed me to also play everything within the studio, even though I had a little hesitation because I felt like, you know, why not get a professional guitar player here or whatever it was. And he really pushed me to do my thing. And then I think it's cool because Mike also, I think, understood what the record was and was like, send me all the stuff that you have, Kevin. And I've, I've seen you make these little flyers or like these DIY little sort of scrapbook sort of zine like things that I would put on Instagram. And Mike just encouraged me to send those over to him. And, you know, he helped me lay it out and everything and had ideas for the layout. But it was cool, the sort of encouragement of like, there's a lot of good stuff here. And this should feel very you because this feels like a very intimate record sonically and both with, you know, in the subject matter and everything. So that's what we did. And I think in a lot of ways, Sundowner sort of set the stage for then what we ended up not doing better, but like building a bigger universe out of those sorts of things on this as a photograph. And like Mike mentioned, the photographer, Johnny Eastland, is also a friend of ours who took the cover of both albums. And each thing is kind of this crazy idea of, you know, like when we took the cover, especially of Sundowner, where I had like, you know, paid and talked to these people into like building a set and painting it pink and putting it in this farm field and like paying this farmer to let us go out there and do this on his land. There's always a, a moment of like, is this 
insane. You know, like, am I just, this is going to look terrible. Like someone's taking a photo of you and you're like, there's no way this is going to look good. But then, you know, everyone's so good at what they do that they can make it look good. Yeah. It was kind of just taking a lot of those same ideas for this is a photograph. Let's build a set. Let's do this thing. It'll reflect the subject matter. Something that I find as I like keep going, like I really love involving sort of the world of the music and the world of, of the space of the universe that I'm sort of building, sort of being depicted with the art. And so I don't know. I really loved, I think if I had to pick one record, you know, pound for pound that I, I like the most out of my catalog. I'm not just saying it because it's the most recent one, but I I just really feel that way about this. The photograph, it came out perfectly. And, you know, when I was sending my scraps of photographs and lyrics and things like that for Sundowner, it all felt a little bit messy, sort of intentionally messy on, I think, both of our ends. Like, let's make it feel like a scrapbook. Whereas this is a photograph felt like, I don't know, a very well put together photo album or something. And one of my favorite things that we did for one of the inserts is Mike had this idea to do this sort of accordion. What, how do you describe it? It's like an accordion of photographs. So it's these photos that I took. And, you know, when you take out the record, these photos sort of come with it. Yeah. Yeah. They're perforated. I have a postcard set from Disneyland that was actually my dad's when he was a child that I always kept and just thought it's just a cool piece to have. But, you know, they used to make touristy sort of like photo postcard little books like this that people could buy at, you know, truck stops or whatever. Kevin, are those your photographs? Yeah, those are photos I took. I think one of them was also taken by Johnny Eastland, but yeah, it was supposed to just look like, yeah, kind of exactly what Mike is describing, just like a sort of my little Disney world. Was there something, Mike, in the ideas behind, this is a photograph about kind of memory and connection with past and present that kind of brought to mind that Disneyland memory of the accordion book and kind of that childhood for you? Yeah, I think maybe without even realizing it, it should be said that all the photography from this package is all film. And then the photos for the cover, you know, Johnny took that with film. When I saw the photos and when I was getting a vibe for it, it's like it felt very nostalgic and vintage, if you will. So like my mind was like, what else is in that world of vintage stuff? Or like, I knew that Kevin had all these photos from his time in Memphis when he was recording and stuff and when he was writing and how could we use them in a way that doesn't just, you know, feel like photos in a layout. And I was like, well, if we could do like a folding thing and then going the extra step of having them perforated so people can actually rip them out and they could put them on the wall if they want or in a frame or whatever. It was kind of just like a fun thing. One of my favorite parts about working with Mike is that it's just like a Rolodex within your brain, Mike, of like, I can point to anything and something that to me, you know, like that specials poster behind you, Mike, if someone asked me what that font was, I'd be like, I have no idea. Compacta. There you go, folks. So, you know, the song, the title track, This Is a Photograph, I played it for a friend, for actually Johnny Eastland, and he had said, oh, this feels like Felicute to me. And I was like, oh, that's such a cool reference. I love that it makes you think of him. And then so I was listening to a lot of Felicute, and I had listened to a lot of his record during that time. It's a live record he did with Ginger Baker. And then on that record, they use a certain font that then I was like, oh, this font is cool. It sort of led me to that. And I was like, I want to use that font for this as a photograph. It's kind of perfect. It looks modern, but it looks vintage. It looks everything at once that we were going for. And of course, I mentioned that to Mike and Mike was immediately like, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. And we can absolutely use that. And then another great thing we did on the packaging, you know, on the shrink wrap, because it's a full bleed with no text on the actual album cover, but the shrink wrap would say this is a photograph and my name, I believe. Mike did this kind of like the flash of a camera. He he made it look this sort of like, almost like Batman sort of pow graphic that he put the text within that was really cool. Like working with a great producer or working with a great designer or working with a great 
bassist or drummer, just people who have the Rolodex in their brain so you can, they can articulate. Because if you don't speak the language, it's so abstract and it'll just be like, I want it to look and feel like this. And then for someone like Mike to be able to be like, you know, well, for that to happen, you should use this font and like maybe this coloring. And it's such a cool sort of, you know, magic trick. Having an artist musician like Kevin, who's very, he's got such a clear vision of what he always wants things to look like. You know, it makes my job so easy because Kevin's always just like, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking this. And I, I feel like it might be a little bit of this. You sent me that live album and I, and I saw the typeface. I was like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, we can use that typeface. And I mean, with Sundowner, you were like, it's kind of like my Nebraska. And like, what if we did, you know, a Nebraska reference? And I was like, yeah, the type should be really massive on the back cover, just down straight one column. Like that's how Nebraska looks. But what if we change the color and change the typeface, something a little different? There's nothing more, I don't want to say frustrating, because sometimes it's a good thing when you don't want some, you don't want to work with an artist and have them be like, it needs to look like this. And then your, your hands are tied. It's also frustrating for an artist to be like, I don't know what I want it to look like. Just do something cool. And then you're like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> what What do you think is cool? Because what I think is cool isn't what everyone thinks is cool. So having Kevin always, with every project we've worked on, Kevin's been like, you know, here's four or five images that like kind of give a vibe. And it's enough of a, a nugget for me to go and be like, this is what this is kind of referencing. And this is what this is. And we work together pretty well, tying stuff together. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah. And Kevin, for this is a photograph, I know there's really specific themes that you're, you know, going after musically. I know, you know, you became a, a bit obsessed with Jeff Buckley and his story and his legacy. I know the story of your father and, you know, just diving deeper into the world of Memphis in this record. Talk to me a little bit about the musical themes and when and how they start to connect to a visual language for you, how early in the process that starts to kind of come to mind for you? It's a great question. And it's such an exciting thing that when it starts to happen, because I feel like each record for me begins as sort of this like grab bag of songs, you know, and I'm always writing songs and I always have, yeah, this sort of grab bag and the songs might not be related, but then out of nowhere, I'll start to notice that like two or three of the songs are sharing some sort of subject matter or lyrical content that I can kind of tie them together. And it's almost like once I know that a record's forming, then I can form the rest of the songs around sort of those anchors, if that makes sense. So, you know, for this record, it was like all these things sort of happened at once where there's this thing that happened with my father and the old family photographs. I had sort of discovered Memphis around this time and I was going there a lot. And with that came my fascination for people like Jeff Buckley and Stax Records and a lot of other different Memphians and people from the surrounding area. And Once it all starts to sort of take place, this universe opens up and it's this funny thing. It's it's like I go searching for the thing and once I find it, then I can fill in the blanks. But that thing sort of has to speak to me. And so in terms of it being a visual world, you know, 
I really just try to like listen to everything because once it all starts coming, it all starts flooding in. I often find that it's in the music itself or it's in the lyrics. Even like I was saying the thing, my friend saying that it sounded like a fellow Kute record and then me listening to that. And then that leading me to a typeface, just those sorts of things. I just feel like it kind of, I don't know, they all make themselves known if you're paying close enough attention or if you're, you're listening to the little details. It's almost like each record becomes more about the visuals than the last one. And it's something for me, I love being a fan of certain artists who they're like, it's like multimedia, what they're putting out, you know, someone like Phil Elvin for the microphones or something where I feel like when I buy a record of his, not only am I getting beautiful music, but I'm getting this beautiful piece of art and I could hang the record on my wall. It looks that good. So I'm constantly striving for something like that. And I just, I think half the fun of making music and of getting to do this thing is the visuals that surround all of it. And obviously music itself, it's a sonic platform and you cannot see it and exist in the air. So getting to sort of put faces to the names of everything that's in the music is such an exciting part of the process to me. Yeah, it brings it to life. It brings it to a physical form that nothing else can. Yeah, and I feel that, you know, with music, half the battle is wanting people to get on board to listen to whatever story you're trying to tell. And I feel like visuals are a great opportunity to do that. You know, I want people to be able to look at an album cover and like sort of be perplexed by it and want to know more about that. So then they will listen to the music as opposed to seeing a record cover and just kind of, you know, not caring or not having any questions really. Right. You talked about kind of that searching, I almost picture kind of like stumbling in the dark to find the anchor, to find the theme. And then when it clicks, it's like the universe starts to kind of draw in the ideas into it, like a nucleus or, or something. Are both parts of that equally exciting and fulfilling to you? Or is the search part what you love? Or is that kind of a little bit more of a challenge, a little more difficult of a process to like push through until it clicks? Sure. The searching part is kind of the mania part of it. It's kind of where I feel the craziest, honestly. I'm yet to go through a searching period or a searching phase where I don't feel like I'm not going to find anything and my career's over and I'm never going to have anything to write about again. And it's always sort of when you feel the craziest or like you're not stumbling upon anything where something, you know, suddenly something clicks and everything makes sense. And then you, you have this foundation to build off of. I've been reading the latest Nick Cave book where it's an interview with him and this person who's interviewed him for the past 30 years. And he talks about this in it. And he used this way of describing this part of the process that I really liked and I really relate to, where he talks about how, you know, he has all these words on all these different pages and they just seem like these flat words and they mean nothing. But then suddenly a few different words will start to rise and they'll start to be in relationship to one another. And you know, some boring word, it could be the word grass, you know, it could just be, it could be amongst all these other words and it meant nothing to you, but suddenly it starts to hold a, a deeper meaning. And then you can start to base everything off of that one word. I really relate to that. And I think the searching part for me is sort of the pounding the pavement and the walking the walk part of the process where without doing that, you're not going to find all the good stuff. So you really have to sort of show up and, you know, people talk about this is like, you know, you got to conjure the spirit and the spirit's not going to come to you without you trying to conjure it. So the searching part is always kind of anxiety producing, but then once I find the thing and once stuff clicks and the search becomes a little bit more clear what I'm after, then it's super fun. Then it's my favorite thing in the world. So, you know, as an example, I didn't know what my next record was going to necessarily be about, but then when all these things happened, I discovered these old family photographs. I discovered Memphis. Once I found these anchors, I was like, oh, I know exactly what it's going to be about. And then the music will kind of meet it halfway, but it's just really chipping away, chipping away at all of these things. 
Mike, talk to me about kind of that intersection of being a musician and a musical artist yourself and being a designer. Like, how do the creative processes intersect for you? Like, when you kind of observe your own process and your own mindset when you're going in to make songs and make records versus when you're going to sit down and, and maybe design for yourself or design for Kevin or Katie or that dog or another band. Talk me through kind of the process and the difference and where you think you have kind of a unique insight into creating art for music, knowing that you live on kind of both sides of that studio wall. It's always been very much together for me. Music was always something that I was very interested in, and it's kind of what led me into the visual arts and vice versa in a way of being attracted to album art or imagery. And be, I mean, like, I was really into the Grateful Dead bears when I was a kid, when that was like a thing. And I, and I didn't know anything about Grateful Dead. I just really liked the bears. So um, <laughs> I was like, Man, the Grateful Dead seems so awesome. And I went to the library and I rented or I borrowed the <laughs> CD. And I remember playing it and being like, this is not what I wanted to hear. Like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And being bummed by it, but also shows you how much of an impact just having that side of the whole equation of being a, a band, you know, like having the visual side, that can sometimes not even matter. It's, I still wore Grateful Dead shirts when I was a kid and I thought the music was bad. So like it's always been a thing where I feel like they've gone hand in hand and they and they are so important together. A lot of times I see visuals or imagery where I'm like that looks awesome and I want to write a song that sounds like this photo. I relate to that so much. I feel like all my references in the studio are always like I want this to like look like the scene from like that movie when they do that thing. Like that's how this should sound. I think that's so cool. Those are the best references. Kevin, it, just the other day, a soundtrack came out. Your soundtrack for Montana Story? Mm-hmm. Is that the first time you've soundtracked a film? Yeah, that's my first film score. That was like a, a super fun thing for me to do because of this sort of visual nature to my music. I now actually had like a visual thing that I was writing the music to, which um, was super, super fun. It was super rewarding. It was difficult, but it was super rewarding. And yeah, exactly what Mike's saying. Like, I think... Like there's so many times where I see a, yeah, a photograph or there's a scene in a film or whatever it is. And you're like, I want to make that into like sonic form. How do I do that? And it's such a cool thing, which is just why art is so cool. You know, it's just, it all influences each other. And I often feel like, Mike, I feel like maybe you're saying it's the same thing, but it's like when I do interviews, a lot of times people ask what I've been listening to or what inspired it sonically. And I'm like, I don't even... That's not what inspired, like one line out of like one book that I read like a year ago inspired like half the songs on this record. Like it's because it, it gave me a feeling. It's not about that line, but it gave me this feeling and I wanted to create that feeling. Mike, do you have any music coming up? Are you working on a new batch of songs or, or album or, or what's going on on the design front too? Anything kind of up and coming? I did a deluxe version of the Snail Mail album, Valentine. Lindsay's playing some shows on Valentine's Day at like a festival in Baltimore. And we did like a limited run of heart-shaped vinyl to heart-shaped vinyl. It's actually cut as a heart? Yeah, it's called, it's called like a heart. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. How about for your own music? When, when does design start coming into play? Are you, are you kind of early putting together ideas or does it come kind of all the way at the end? No, I, I mean, I have the album cover finished before I write a song. 
my group of friends who are involved in like my music, you know, like I have a small circle of friends who I send share stuff with, or like we talk, or they used to play in my backing band when I toured and they've known me forever. And they always give me a hard time because they're like, if only you could write songs as quickly as you can design merch as shirts, <laughs> you know, like that's like how my brain works. It's just like, I'll see something. I'll be like, that's the album cover. I want to do a photo shoot that looks like that. And I want to have like this be the stuff that informs like, I got that finished. Now we got to make music that goes on that album. Yeah, I love that. And Kevin, where are you at in terms of your searching? You know, as we talked about earlier, you're searching in the dark. I mean, you just had this you know, amazing record come out and I know you wanted to give it space and time to you know, reach people and listeners and also kind of give yourself time to live with it and kind of occupy the creative space it needed. Where are you at? Yeah, you know, I feel like before this is a photograph, I would really turn them out. And I think I was number one, a younger man. And I was hustling in a way that I felt I needed to. And COVID, as terrible as it was, kind of created this platform for me to really dig into a record. And I feel like, you know, there's a lot of peaks and valleys with that. But I really feel like I I was able to make like the best possible record that I could. So I'm really wanting to do the same thing for the next one. And Part of loving this as a photograph so much, I've been kind of wanting to just live inside of the world that I created with that. And I still have a lot of more touring to do with it this year. And at some point I'll play like my last This Is A Photograph show and then I can like really start to think ahead. With that said, I can't help myself, but like always have some sort of searching. I'm relating to what Mike is saying right now because I have like a vague idea of what I want my next album cover to look like and kind of the vibe, but I'm kind of trying to slow those thoughts because just after the creative payoff of how I went about this as a photograph. I kind of want to do that again. With that said, I'm actually going to the studio next week to finish some B-sides to this as a photograph. And part of me crafting this record that in my mind was the most perfect record that I could make, I left a lot of songs off that I actually really loved. So I'm going back into the studio next week with Sam, who I did this as a photograph with, to just finish those songs. And that'll be also another part of kind of getting all of this as a photograph out of my system before I do the next thing. So we're going to release those at some point this year. Awesome. That's so exciting. I really hope I get the chance to see you live and perform these songs. And the idea of additional music, whether it's a deluxe album or it's, you know, additional releases around these sessions, I think is so exciting. And I think fans of yours are going to love to enjoy more of that world that you've created for this photograph. Yeah, this was so awesome. Thank you both so much for joining. I really enjoyed the conversation and getting to hang out with you both. Mike, kudos for making this all happen. And Kevin, really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Nice to meet you. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, we we loved it. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe if you dig what we're doing here on this independent podcast. Rate the show, share it with friends, colleagues, and creatives in your life. Visit makingwayspodcast.com to learn about our guests, see the exclusive artwork I illustrated that goes along with this episode, and support what we're doing so we can continue to bring you amazing new episodes at the crossroads where art and music meet. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. Audio engineering is by Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. You can find us on Instagram at making.ways. And if you have a project that brings together music and art, I'd love to work together. Hit me up at rob at makingways.co. And check out more of my artwork at robgoodmanart.com. Be well and see you soon. Thanks so much again for listening to Making Ways, The Art of Music. I know that I'm not perfect. 
Just like I know you are wired, I know that though we're both grown up, still feel like a child inside, and I wanna go out dancing.